Welcome, and thanks for listening to this message from City Bridge Community Church. Our heart at City Bridge is to call all people to be fully devoted followers of Christ. To learn more about City Bridge and how you can take your next faithful step with Jesus, check us out online at citybridgechurch.org. Now, here's the message. People are always like, what do you do at City Bridge? Are you the preaching pastor? I'm like, no, I'm more like the living room pastor, where what we're talking about today, for better or for worse, I get a lot of reps, and that is helping people resolve conflict. Last week, Kyle started this series, and there were a couple points last week, just all conflict is an opportunity. It's an opportunity to glorify God. It's an opportunity to be his disciple Even when you're wrong, it is an opportunity to grow. He talked about how um, the posture we should have in all conflicts should be humility. And if you can just walk into a room caring about what Jesus says in, you know, Matthew 7, 5, you hypocrite, first get the log out of your own eye. Then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. If you can walk in with that posture, it will go well with you. So we talked about how it's an opportunity. We talked about the posture we want to walk in with and the reality that this is just inevitable. Conflict isn't inevitable because we are all imperfect people in relationship with each other. And we're going to hurt each other at some point or another. Listen, if the longer you and I walk together, I will frustrate you. And I know there's several people in this audience that could say, preach. And I'm just so grateful every time somebody gives me the opportunity to resolve conflict with them and just to take responsibility for my part there. But it is inevitable. So let me start with uh, just a story. This, This happened several years ago in my own community group. We met every single week at a Starbucks over on Renner. And this morning was just like every morning. We were breaking camp. Okay, see you next week. I'm headed to work. Until somebody, as I'm walking off, was like, hey, do you have a couple minutes? Now, usually when someone says that, that, that doesn't go well. It's like, we need to have a conversation with you. Okay, sat down. And essentially, the conversation was this. Here was the message. Rob, you are a flirt. You flirt with women. And essentially, you need to spend your time not flirting with women. You need to spend your time discipling men. And I remember like, What? Almost like, how dare you? So let me ask you a question. What do you do when somebody gives you feedback? What's your posture like? What's your response? Were you like me that smiled on the outside and said, thank you? And just like a raging bull on the inside? Like, I'll show you, I'll invalidate you. How do you respond to feedback? That's where we're going to spend the entire morning, is what do you do when somebody doesn't respond well to feedback? What do you do there? And we're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 18, verses 15 through 18, which is all about how should we confront sin when we see sin? And it's not just that. It's not just about sin. There are principles there as well for how do we resolve conflict So if it's not sin, it's just that relational rub that we all feel with people. Sometimes you're like, you're kind of wearing me out. Those same principles in Matthew 18 help us move towards the thing that Jesus says, the world will know you're my disciples by the way you love one another, by the unity in the body. 
And so we're gonna look at three Ps this morning, right? We're gonna look at a process that Jesus lays out for all of his disciples. We're gonna look at a provision that he gives all of us in the process. And last, we're gonna look at a person that we've gotta keep our eyes on the entire process. We've gotta keep our eyes on this person. So let's jump in. Let's read. If you got your Bible open to Matthew chapter 18, we'll throw up the ESV here and we're gonna start in verse 15. So we're gonna be talking here about the first thing, the process to follow, the process to follow. Here we go. If your brother sins against you, go and show him your fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you've gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. So, Let me start with, as we look at the process to follow, let me start with just four observations as I read Matthew 18 about what this process looks like. First, I just underlined the word brother there. And that word brother is great because we're all equals. This isn't a hierarchy or an authoritarian deal. This is what Jesus says, that anyone who does the will of my father, that person is my mother and brother. And so I love it that he calls us brother. It's, it's the word he uses that we are in fellowship with, him, with one another. And the reality is we don't have to have like a deep friendship. We're family. We are family. So he starts with that relationship language. We are brothers or we are sisters. And you gotta go to him. But it doesn't end there. See, as this process unfolds, as one person goes and tries to plead, as two or three go to plead, as the church goes to plead, and all that word church is, is the people of God. It's not a building. So listen, if you get stuck and you gotta go to the church, go find a godly man or woman in this deal to jump in that circle with you. But if they refuse to listen over and over and over, we have got to do something where we can no longer call that person a brother or sister, we've got to change our relationship with them. We've got to break fellowship, and it is heartbreaking. And so we start as a brother, and as this process goes down the line, the timeline, at some point, if there's a lack of repentance, we've got to change our relationship with that person. And that sounds harsh. And so let me tell you the truth. I have to rest in when I have to Think about breaking fellowship with somebody. And it doesn't happen often. It might happen a couple times a year. And that is, if Jesus has commanded me to do it, it is good for that person. And I don't know how all that works, but I know that if he's commanded us to do something towards somebody else, he loves that person and it's for their own good. So the first observation is, all this happens in the context of a relationship a family or a friend relationship here. Second, sin. If your brother sins, that can mean a lot of things to a lot of people, but let me just use the best definition I know, which is what we teach our kids. Sin is everything you think, say, or do that dishonors the Lord. And so two sins that um, are part of my story that um, 
I just have to make sure I've got my hands around her anger and sarcasm. Because I can, I can just make excuses for that. I'll come back to those later. But we are going towards somebody that is ultimately, they are practicing something that is not leading to the life. Tomorrow morning, you know, when you wake up, open your Bible for devotional time, I would just encourage you to read Matthew 18 and just try to figure out how does everything that precedes the passage we're talking about fit into it? And you're gonna see a couple things. One, sin doesn't lead to anything good. Temptation doesn't lead anything to good. And as a follower of Christ, we have a, a responsibility with sin. And that is to gouge out our eye and cut off our hand. Meaning, I don't want people showing up maimed next week. We need to aggressively attack sin, period. First and foremost in our own life. Third, listens. Look how many times the word listens shows up here. If he listens, if he does not listen, if he refuses to listen, if he refuses to listen, that word listen can be confusing to us because some of us like audible. And this is not the audible listen to the audiobook here. This is a biblical version of listen. Go read Matthew 7. Whoever hears these words of mine and puts them into practice like a wise man that built his house on a rock. Go read James. Do not merely be a hearer of the word, but a doer of the word. This word listening in the scriptures always never just stops in hearing something. It is always connected with responding in a way that's consistent with his word. And then last is the question I get all the time. What happens if the process isn't followed? Any of you ever thought that in here? I'm like, you know, it's like, where's the process flag? I'm gonna throw the process foul flag on this and I'm gonna make, make it more about the, the fact that you didn't follow the process than what the message is you're trying to communicate. The crazy thing is, like if I think back about that meeting at Starbucks with those guys, I literally cannot remember ever having a conversation with any one of those guys before they had a gang tackle me. But here's the deal. I believe they did. And when I care more about the process as the listener, the receiver, than the message, my heart is in a bad way. The process matters because God never wants someone to feel ambushed, right? That's why we gotta go one-on-one. Bring two or three, bring the church because we love you. When, that, when I could have thrown that process flag, you know, at Starbucks, I just, at the end of the day, what mattered more is that I was discouraging my wife, that I was dishonoring Christ in flirting with women more than I cared about whether they had said it perfectly that morning. So Jesus gives us a process to follow. And I just want to remind you, behind every single process, there's a person. There is a person with a story. All right, second. Second thing he wants to see here is that there is a provision for us to rely on. There is a provision for us to rely on. I just have to remind myself all the time. I mean, there are sometimes I'm walking into rooms and I'm like, this is not going to go well. This is going to be a hot mess. And I just have to remind myself what verse 20 says. And what verse 20 says, a lot of us learned that when we first trusted Christ in the navigator's cars, and it's a verse on fellowship. And all it says is, Jesus says, where two or three are gathered on my name, 
there am I with them. Isn't that awesome? Like, think about that. In the context of what we're talking about here, if you're going to go have that conversation with somebody, you're never going alone. The Lord is present. Grab two or three. The Lord is present with you. He is present. We are never alone. We're never alone when he invites us, go grab community, go grab two or three, go grab the church. We know that when there's a burden, more people that are around that thing that are helping out relieves the burden. He has given us an amazing provision as we move in and in the process. So let me talk about seven questions that come up all the time as I jump in with groups. So the first question is this. How do I discern between sin and relational friction? How do I discern between sin and relational friction? Well, anytime I'm thinking about sin, I want to think about, can I chapter and verse this? If somebody's coming to me to deliver a message, or if I'm going to them to deliver a message about something I've seen in their life, can I go to scripture and go, okay, there it is. Now, let me talk about anger, right? Anger is something that I can justify all the time as I walk in the flesh. Because I'm always like, hey, that's, that was right because that's righteous anger. And, um, you know, and it's like, no, Paul says, get rid of all anger. And I can justify a chapter and verse for anger in my own life. Sarcasm. You know that word means? I have someone had to tell me sometime because I love sarcasm, unfortunately. And I need to love it way less. It just literally means to rip the flesh apart. And I can make excuses for being sarcastic. And it's like, no, look at Ephesians 4. Do let no corrupting talk come in your mouth, but only such is good for building others up. And so can I chapter and verse something where there's sin, where there's relational rub or relational conflict? That happens all the time. It's inevitable. And all I want to say is, I just want to model for my family more than anything. Are you, have I done something to frustrate you? I was out here with leaders in our church that I love that are on mission. And I, we just had some hard conversations. I had to look at them and say, hey, are we good? You and me? Okay, good. Are you and me good? Great. Are you guys good with each other? Great. And have I frustrated you? And I got, I got a real spoonful of this a couple years ago because there was just some hard conversations in our neighborhood and I thought this guy just despised my guts. Every time I saw him, I'm like, I can read it on his face. He doesn't like me. So after about two years, I'm like, okay, enough's enough. Only, sometimes it only takes me two years. And um, we, I'm like, can we go grab lunch? And we go to lunch. And I'm like, it, this could totally be my insecurity here. But have I done something to frustrate you? And he goes, no, yeah, we're good. I'm like, really? Because he's like, no, we're good. And I'm for two years, <laughs> two years. All it took was going to that person and go, hey, have I hurt you? Have I frustrated you? So that's a great way to help you move back towards um, relational conflict or relational rub. And if you hear somebody who's frustrated with anybody in this body, just stop them and just say, hey, listen, you need to go have that conversation with that person. Wouldn't you want to know if you were doing that to somebody else? You need to go have that conversation with somebody and I'll follow up with you about how that happened. And by the way, if you're scared to death to go have it, I'll go with you and I'll just keep my mouth shut. But I'm telling you, 
Oneness is tenuous. We have got to be diligent about keeping short accounts here. All right, second question. What happens if you're stuck in circular conflict? You ever been there? It's like, you just can't get any traction. It's like, we just keep going over and over and over and over. And I call this the crazy train. Anybody ever been on the crazy train? I have, and it's exhausting. And so it's like, I gotta get off the crazy train. And so typically the way I get off the crazy train, when I just feel like we can't get traction, we can't get any movement towards healing or restoration or oneness. I just look at somebody and go, listen, I, I could be wrong here. I'm sure I am. I'm sure I'm insecure. Um, but I just love you too much. I care about our relationship too much. I care about this body too much. Can we invite somebody else into this conversation? And more than, more than often, people will say yes. You know why? Because of Proverbs 16 too, which is maybe my favorite verse in all scripture. And all it says is, all man's ways seem pure to him. And if I was gonna translate that verse, it'd be all of Rob Barry's ways seem pure to him. So it's like, can we invite someone into this conversation? Most people are thinking, of course, because they'll validate what I'm saying. And some of you have laughed with me about something that's happened in my group that I've shared a couple times. I have been outvoted in my community group nine to one more than once. And in my Proverbs 16 Tunis, I'm like, hey, um, hey, I guess I wasn't clear. I guess I didn't explain this well enough. And they're like, oh, you're clear. We just agree with your wife. And so I'm telling you, Proverbs 16 2 is in all of us. But we've got to say, hey, listen, this is too important. Can we just invite somebody else into the circle? Get off that crazy train. All right, number three. What if people are unwilling to have the conversation? You ever heard that? I mean, I've heard that countless times. I will not get in a room with that person. That's in the body of Christ. They're crazy. Well, they might be. But listen, as Christ followers, you cannot call yourself a Christ follower and be unwilling to take the next step towards reconciliation. That doesn't mean you're going to reconcile, but you've got to be willing to get in the room. When this happens, when somebody's just unwilling, I'm always thinking about leverage and not like, because I want to act like a wrestler and put someone on the ground and have them say submit. I'm thinking about leverage because if there's relational division or sin, I know there's no life there. I've tasted that. And I want to do everything I can to help friends and family. And I hope the same towards me to do everything I can to help you move into a place where there are pleasures forevermore in his right hand. That's obedience. He has not come to steal life from me or to rip you off. He has come that you may have life and life abundantly. And when you're not right with somebody, you are not experiencing the life God wants you to have. So I always wanna put them in front of Jesus. That's the first thing I think about. Hey, do you know what Jesus says about this? And just start, hey, just read these verses. Go read Proverbs 6. If you've been ensnared by your words, go quickly to the person. 
Leave your gift at the altar. If you think, even think someone has something to get you, leave your gift at the altar. Go and be reconciled. You want to talk about worship? Go move towards reconciliation. This, this is worship. That's worship. Leaving your gift at the altar. Be diligent to preserve the unity, spirit, and the bond of peace. Ephesians 4. Listen, do you know what it says here? And some people still say, yes, and I don't care. And some people say, I never knew that. I want to put him in front of Jesus. I want to put him in front of their commitment they made and just ask, hey, is your yes going to be yes? If you're a member here, we all sign a covenant together where if you're frustrated me, we are committed to resolve conflict in a way that honors Christ. And I'm just telling you, if you are unwilling, we may have to change the membership conversation or have that conversation with you because you can't be fully devoted to Christ and unwilling. And if you're unwilling, that will infect the larger body. And it matters. Question four. Um, why in the world would I ever want to be more people in? Let's just keep trying to have this conversation. Bringing people in helps bring perspective more than anything. And it helps bring perspective in that it protects people and it validates other things. Now listen, if you are going, and if you're on the receiving end, this is sin. We have people all the time that mistake sin, black and white things in scripture, for gray preferences. And so bringing those two or three in the room with you or the church in with you helps just get off the crazy train, helps somebody go, hey, Rob, you are calling this sin and this isn't sin. This is a preference. And so you guys just need to drop it and bear with one another as you learn to live with different types of preferences like Colossians 3 talks about. Here's the other part of the protection. If you have not dealt with your past, it will amplify your present. If you have not dealt with your past, it will amplify your present and continue to amplify your future. And so we know, we've all seen that. People that have been hurt in the past respond differently. And we need people in the room to go, hey, you're kind of making a mound out of a molehill here. Look, what you're saying matters, but you're making a really small thing a big thing. So bringing people in is provision, it's protection for somebody who's been accused of sin. On the other end, bringing in people can validate the message. Because let me tell you, when you're like a prophet and you're the only person saying this is sin and you feel alone, you feel crazy. And so just to bring other people in the conversation that can go, hey, we, we agree with Rob. We've heard what he said, what the message is. We've heard your response and, and we agree with that. And now we're saying with one voice, we are calling this sin in your life and we're calling you to repent. And let me tell you, as if you've been in that scenario when other people are like, okay, I'm not crazy. I'm not crazy. So it is a protection and it is also a provision because it helps validate the message. Number five, how do I be clear and truthful while still being gracious and loving? That's a hard one. Here's what I know about clarity is, and I'm gonna speak for myself, 
I always think I'm more clear than I am. And so do you. And at the same time, if somebody is justifying sin, if Robbery is justifying anger, if Robbery is justifying sarcasm or flirting, something happens to me. A hardening starts to set in. And that hardening makes you start to just not hear things clearly or see things clearly or think clearly. So people can be screaming the most clear message in the world. And if you're spiritually hard and numb, you won't hear it the way God wants you to hear it. I love what John Stone Street says. If you've ever followed any of his stuff, he just summarizes like this. Sin makes you stupid. And I'm like, yes, <laughs> yes, it does. Clarity matters. Truthfulness matters. Around gracious and loving, I think we've just got to flip our paradigm around all this. Better is an open rebuke than a hidden love, but faithful are the wounds of a friend, what Proverbs 27, 5 says. Let a righteous man strike me. It's like oil in my head. It's like healing to me. Do you know how much courage it takes just the average person to go and have a conversation like this? Do you know the level of obedience it takes to walk in and sit down with somebody and go, I love you. And man, I, I don't think this is the person you want to be. But hey, I've, I've noticed this about you. And I think this is harming you or harming others or sin. You know how much courage it takes to have that conversation? Even if they're wrong, people grow through the process. It is God's kindness. It is God's kindness for him to send people, his provision to us, to help us walk through the small gate and on the narrow path that leads to life. Because the wide gate is like, fall on the sword. The wide gate is like, ah, let's just go our own ways. The wide gate is a lot of those things. You just do you and I'll do me. No, that is not the small gate and narrow path that leads to life. It is contentious. Number six, what happens if people push back on how you do this? You ever been on that? It's another deflection tactic. I don't like the message. So because I don't like the message, I'm gonna deal with how you deliver the message. And I'm gonna make it all about that. And let me tell you, tone matters. I think about all the time when I've delivered a clear message and I was not walking in the spirit. It was not delivered with gentleness and kindness and self-control. Let's go read tomorrow, Matthew 18, 33. This is where this thing ends. It's like, how, what kind of posture and tone should we have this conversation with? Shouldn't you have been merciful on your fellow servant just as I was on you? We should be the most gentle and kind people. And in the last month, I've had to look a friend I love in the eyes and go, how was my tone? Kyle Kegler um, will say all the time, um, he'll be like, Rob, you like feedback, right? Okay. You were a little amped in there. And we could tell. I mean, I don't want to be amped. But we can get wrapped around the axle by how we deliver the message or how the message was delivered. 
And we just have to separate those two things from what is the message? And let's talk later. I hear you say I didn't deliver that well and it was harsh, but let's put that on the side burner and let's come back to that. I want to make sure the message is clear. Yesterday, I was, um, you know, we have a screen door and I was looking out at my, my mailman. She's fantastic. Put mail in the mailbox and I just grabbed it. And there was an energy bill in there. And I just thought, I was thinking about this message and I thought, how crazy would it be if my energy company sent me a bill and my sweet mailman just had a bad day and just crammed that stuff in my mailbox and that energy bill is so crumpled and no love in the delivery. And how crazy would it be if I took that thing out? I'm like, well, I'm not gonna open this thing up. I'm not gonna pay that bill because the way it was delivered. Try that on for size, see how that works for you. That's called crazy. And so we've got to separate the message from how it was delivered and both matter. But I'm telling you, it is a deflection tactic to get wrapped around the actual realm, the how versus the what. And as men and women and followers who are following Jesus, we've got to care more about the message than how it's delivered if we're on the receiving end of this thing. We've got to model humility. All right, question seven. What are just some practical steps in all this? First practical step I would just say is ask for help. We're all learning how to do this. One of my favorite moments is when I asked our guys' dad's class, how many of you watch people resolve conflict well in your family? Two hands out of 70 went up. We, none of us have seen this done well. We are all learning to be his disciple in how we do this. Ask for help. If you ask for help, don't give names. Don't drag people into gossip. Just say, hey, listen, this is kind of high level what's going on. And here's what I've done. What do you think I should do next? And just let somebody go, okay, this is what I've heard. Here's what I think Jesus would say about that. So go do that and call me if it gets out of control. You know, and listen, I don't need to know names until way deep in this thing. Till like it's on the two or three or the church level. I just don't need to know. You go do it and don't gossip about it with people. Ask for help earlier rather than later. Two, drive for clarity. Hey, what's the message? I mean, I can't tell you. I do this with my wife. Hey, what, let me, I want to make sure I, the message is clear. This is what I just heard you say. Is that what you said? No. Okay, say it again. You know, and it's like, I am trying to listen here. I've done this with friends in the last month. I want to make sure the message is, what are you saying? Okay, great. And I want to make sure the message is clear to you. So make sure the message is clear. Third, this sounds crazy, but this is something I learned. Read scripture. Let me tell you, every time I jump in with a leader here and learn how, I'm learning how to resolve conflict. And I remember jumping in this room back here with Kyle Kegler. We were helping a group resolve conflict. And I remember he just said, hey, let's just, I want you to take out your Bible, your phone, and just read every scripture. Let's just read it out loud to each other. What it, any scripture around forgiveness or healing or humility or any of those things, let's just read those out loud or oneness. And it is crazy how that just kind of de-amplifies the situation and allows you to go, 
okay, man, I came in here this room with an agenda and um, maybe I need to move one click to the, to the right or the left with Jesus' agenda. It just helps set the tone for the room. This word, this question will change your marriage and it'll change relationships. And it's a simple question. And if you've been around here for a while, City Bridge, you've heard it. Here's the question. Will you forgive me? Not I'm sorry for, not um, I should forgive you. Well, do you wanna ask them for forgiveness? Well, I just did. No, you said I should. Or, hey, you need to forgive me. Okay, now you've sinned against someone and now you're demanding they do something. That doesn't work out well either. Will you forgive me? And once you've asked that question, you have been faithful. And they've got to make the choice on whether they're going to forgive you or not. That simple question. So as you're in the room with people, helping them listen to each other, hey, it's just a great time. Hey, do you want to ask them for forgiveness right now? And it's like, what? Well, you just agreed that you heard them. Do you want to ask them for forgiveness? Sure, great. And that is just such a simple thing that goes a long way. And last, this is where I um, start the meetings as well, is, you know, you, we're usually in a, row, a circle of chairs so we can see each other. And I will usually just look at everybody in the eyes and I will just say, hey, I, I want to remind you that there is not an enemy sitting in this circle right now. The people sitting in these chairs you guys are frustrated with, they are your family. And I'm not saying they've done everything right, right? But they are not the enemy. There is a very real enemy that is prowling around looking for someone to devour and to rip y'all apart. And I'm telling you, they're not the enemy. Y'all are family. And it's like, whoa, you're right. And it's crazy how people can just feel like the enemy and they're not. So that's the process, the process to follow. Last is just a person to trust. A person to trust is the last P. And that person is Jesus. He is the one commanding us to do this. And the hard reality for all of us, you cannot produce humility in anybody. You can't produce repentance in anybody. You can't say anything creative enough to make the light bulb go off. That comes with somebody yielding to the spirit. And you can't control, that is out of your control. It's kind of like, Parenting, all you can do is sow the field, grab, get rocks out of the field, pull weeds from the field. But at the end of the day, God's got to do something here. And all you can do, the only goal here is for you to be faithful. You cannot control the result. Second, the second goal is restoration. It's not to be right, it's to restore somebody. Tomorrow, go read the passage that comes right before this. It's the sheep that leaves the 99 and goes astray. And somebody's got to go get that sheep and bring him back. And that's a picture of the process we've been talking about today. And that picture is there is a pastor that Jesus and his flock are in. And that pastor is the grass you want to eat for life and life to the full. And whenever we think we know better and we know right in our own eyes, we leave that pasture and we go get some of Rob Berry. We go gratify desires over here. When, when sin is full-blown, it gives birth to death. 
And that when somebody, once sheep leaves, that's the pasture they're now eating in. And the most loving thing we can do with each other is go with Jesus to go get that sheep and restore them back in the pasture of Jesus where there is life. It is God's kindness to us. And I hope you feel free that you are not responsible for the result. You're responsible to be faithful and you're responsible to have the right vision point, which is my goal is not to be right, it's to restore. And if at any point you care more about being right than restoring your relationship with them, something hardening has set in. And if you care more about being right than restoration with Jesus there, Hardening is set in. This is about Jesus and his pastor where there's life. He's given us process. He's given us provision, each other to do this together. And he's given us a person to follow. So here's what happened in that day. When I left that Starbucks, I got in my car, called my wife. I was headed west on Renner. Road and almost mockingly, I mean, almost just laughing with my wife, at my wife, said, you will not believe the conversation these guys just had with me. They said this, and I didn't hear a laugh on the other end. She said, Rob, I've been trying to tell you that for seven years, and you have never had a group of men that loves you enough to tell you that. And I'm telling you, those men try to gang tackle me because they love me. It just took one more faithful follower of Jesus to get me to the ground. A helper. And listen, I, I think, I try to think about where would my life be if that hadn't happened. I'm just telling you, it would not be where it is today. And the reality is that group of men had not done the process perfectly. They'd done it faithfully. They had not used the provision perfectly. They used it faithfully. The goal is not just to be perfect. The goal is to be faithful. Follow Jesus in the process. City Bridge, friends, family. If we're going to be a place that Jesus wants us to be, we have got to be a group of people that give feedback and receive feedback in humility. Oneness is tenuous and it is inconsistent to name yourself as a Christ follower and not follow Jesus in this area. Thanks for listening. We pray this message encourages you on your journey with Jesus. If you found this message helpful, feel free to share it with others and leave us a review. To learn about City Bridge and how you can take your next faithful step with Jesus, check us out online at citybridgechurch.org. You can also follow us on social at citybridgecc. See you next time.